you have habitable real estate and you have non-habitable real estate. So self-storage would be non-habitable, meaning we don't have anyone living unless they're doing it illegally. And then habitable real estate tends to deal with humans. You have a lot more laws. You have a lot more regulation. One of the big benefits is judicial and non-judicial foreclosures. If a tenant stops paying their rent in your house or your multifamily unit, you have to go before a judge to ask them to get an eviction. Whereas with self-storage, yeah. it's more of a retail or a customer focused type structure. You just have to send them notice, let them know that, hey, you need to pay. If not, we're going to have to auction your stuff off. It really increases mm -hmm. the efficiency. Real estate's all about collecting rent. So if on a multifamily unit, if you kick someone out because they weren't paying and it takes you 90 days to repair that unit and rent it out again, storage, you can have someone out as little as 23 days and then auction their stuff off. And at auction, you can sign another lease to whoever bought the stuff inside the unit. And you have very little vacancy in storage. You also have very little maintenance because humans tend to create chaos. They tear things up, they get in fights, you have to replace all that. Whereas with storage, you're just holding their belongings and storing yeah. it for a small fee. And I would say one of the other major benefits is most storage facilities are somewhere around 100 to 400 units. If you have a couple of tenants not pay or a couple of tenants leave, it's not going to crush your yield, but you're still going to do really well. Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host. Shahid Durrani. Today we have with us Travis Bolcom, founder of Bolcom Capital, is a seasoned asset investor with over 10 years of real estate investing experience with an average above market return year over the past decade. Welcome to our show, Travis. Yeah, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Can you share with us, how did you get into this? Yeah, for over the last 11 years, that's all I've done is real estate. I was in the, the building trade industry before that, and I was selling a mm -hmm. lot of product to real estate investors. And I was like, man, they have the nicest life. And so I figured I would take them out to lunch, figure out how they were doing it. And then eventually I was just like, I think I can do this on my own. And then now you actually coach others to doing it as well. We did a little bit of coaching, primarily just in the self-storage space. So we started in 2012, we started in the residential space. We were buying and selling a lot of foreclosures. And then after buying about 400 houses, we got burned out of buying houses and smelling foreclosures and dealing with plumbers and dealing with painters not showing up. And so we moved to self-storage assets, which basically you don't have to deal with any of that stuff. No one's living in your units. No one's have to continually repair your units. And so therefore your yield on a return basis ends up being a lot higher. So that's your specialty, right? Self-storage? Yeah, we, right we now, specialize in self-storage. So can you share some of the benefits? I think you mentioned a few right now, but in detail regarding the self-storage opportunities. This is the second time. I'm hearing self-storage as being a very viable investment opportunity. So you've got some of the benefits, or I guess it would really be comparing one type of asset to another is you have habitable or habitable real estate and you have non-habitable real estate. So self-storage would be non-habitable, meaning we don't, yeah. we don't have anyone living unless they're doing it illegally. We don't have anyone living in our yeah. facilities. <laughs> 
but and then habitable real estate tends to deal with humans. You have a lot more laws. You have a lot more regulation. It's yeah. one of the big benefits is judicial and non-judicial foreclosures. If a tenant stops paying their rent in your house or your multifamily unit, you have to go before a judge to ask them to get an eviction. Whereas with self-storage, yeah. it's more of a retail or customer focused type structure. You just have to send them notice, let them know that, hey, you need to pay. If not, we're going to have to auction your stuff off. It really increases mm -hmm. the efficiency when you have real estate's all about collecting rent. So if on a multifamily unit, if, it, if you kick someone out because they weren't paying and it takes you 90 days to repair that unit and rent it out again, storage, you can have someone out in as little as 23 days and then auction their stuff off. And at auction, you can sign another lease to whoever bought the, bought the unit or bought the stuff inside the unit. And so you have very little vacancy in storage. You also have very little maintenance because... Humans tend to create chaos. They tear things up. They get in fi fights. They don't care about yours. They spill mm -hmm. stuff on the carpet. Yeah. You have to replace all that. Whereas with storage, you're just holding their belongings and storing mm -hmm. it for a small fee. And, uh, and so yeah. another, I would say one of the other major benefits is most storage facilities are somewhere around 100 to 400 units. If you have a couple of tenants not pay or a couple of tenants leave, it's not going to crush your yield. But you're still going to do really well. Whereas if you have a house yeah. and someone leaves a the house, then you literally are making no money until you fix it up and rent it single. out again. Like yeah. a single home or even a small apartment complex. Yes. Yeah. So like a 30 unit apartment building would be the same situation, right? Yeah. For instance, on a 30 unit, I've owned a 20 unit apartment complex. And when you have two people leave, you're all of a sudden not stable anymore. Like the stabilization, which is typically 90% mm. or higher. When you ha have less, when you have less than 90%, banks want to charge you more in rent because you're not stable or more in interest because you're not stabilized. Whereas in, so you have two people leaving a 20 unit, you're all of a sudden, if you're at 90%, you have two people leave, you're at 80%. Banks are going to consider yeah. that a riskier asset as opposed to yeah, when you have 400 units, you can have 40 people leave and still be stable. And that's a really so important part because real estate is a highly leveraged product, of course. highly leveraged yeah. business. That's all about making sure you get good terms. But you mentioned self-storage not having much vacancy. How do you ensure that it is pretty much booked? Because I thought it was yeah. pretty competitive. Everywhere you look, you see a storage unit, right? You do. Americans like to keep their stuff. They don't like to throw anything away. So even if you see facilities <laughs> all over the place, depending on the cultural dynamics, depending on the income level, those facilities might be 100% full or even 90% full. Where you come into an issue with storage is when you have like a dying town, like a town that has a negative population. So people are leaving more than they're coming in. That's when you typically have occupancy issues. However, there is still ways to make money in those markets. You just have to get a lot more creative. And then typically you're not increasing the rents on those, on those facilities, as opposed to if you had a facility, say in Austin, Texas, where, where there's tons of 150 people move in a day, like you're going to have a ton of demand. And so mm. you'll always be okay. full or you'll always you'll be always close be. to being full. Good. Another thing, how many even, years? Though, even though like self-storage leases are like month to month, our average portfolio wide, our average lease or our average tenant stays for two and a half years. Oh, there is an average of two and a half years. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So how many units do you have currently under your We have umbrella? a little under 1800 units. 
made up over, over seven facilities and we're actively looking for more. The interest rate environment has made it challenging, but there's thankfully we're in America. And so every time there's a challenge, people come in and mm -hmm. offer opportunity or come up with opportunities. We found a family office and a life insurance company that can lend about 200 basis points below prime. And we're, we're trying to utilize that debt to buy as many as we can right now. So if it's attractive, then it must be competitive to even land more of these units, correct? I'm not sure what you mean by that. The market being so hot when it comes to self-storage and you're looking to purchase more of these self-unished buildings, others are as well. It must get competitive amongst each other. Bidding war or anything like that? We haven't been in a bidding war since September of 22. Or really, I guess that's when we closed on that facility. It was July of 22 when we got that facility under contract. It's really softened up just like most other assets. Commercial real estate is really slowing down. With that said, sellers are not as greedy. Especially if a seller is listing their facility right now, they really need to sell or otherwise they would just hold off. And so that adds, yeah. uh, that brings opportunity in the That's sense good. of that you might be able to get better pricing. You might be able to get seller financing, having the seller carry some of the costs of the purchase of the loan or purchase of the mm -hmm. facility. You might be able to, there's going to be facility. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I guarantee you there's going to be some facilities go into foreclosures just because the, over the last three years, there's been a, a huge amount of development and that's going to have an effect on the market. So actual facilities are going to be foreclosure? Generally speaking, I, I think there's been a lot of aggressive development that didn't need to happen. They're either going to be really performing poorly or they're going to not be able to pay their mortgage. I Like new in, facilities? Yeah, I would say new facilities that are having trouble leasing up because when you okay. have a new facility, you have to pay for it and then you have to lease yeah. it up. So you're eight, nine million dollars into this thing and then you have to fill it up. And that could yeah. take... 24 to 36 months to fill it up. But if you purchase an established one with records, then you're sitting pretty, you just take over. Yeah. The safety right now is getting a really good price on an existing facility. That's, mm. you might not hitting any, hit any home runs, but you're not going to strike out either. So just to elaborate on what you do. So do you have a fund that people can invest into for these self-storage facilities? Yeah, we do it case by case. So we'll find a facility, then we reach out to our investors. You can be added, anyone can be an investor as long as they are an accredited investor by the SEC. And we basically raise money deal by deal. Funds are, in my opinion, funds are clunky. We'd rather raise money deal by deal and only take the money that we need at the time. So we don't feel pressure mm -hmm. to go find. If we raise a $10 million fund and we only place $2 yeah, million, you gotta that find means it. I have $8 million I have to go find. I have to go place somewhere yeah. or I'm not reaching the yield for my investors. And that's not going to be good. Okay. So one of these facilities, do you know ballpark, how much they cost approximately? Yeah, it really depends on the market. Some of the rural markets, those are higher cash flow markets, meaning that you can get a really good price and the cash flow a lot better than a major, major market, but a major market, you can increase the rates a lot and then sell it to another investor and make a lot of money at the end. Anywhere, we try to be around $12,000 to $15,000 a unit. So we're buying a 100 unit facility that's 1.2 million. But that's really a bad metric to just focus on because one facility might be getting $6 a square foot per year and one another facility might only be getting $4 a square foot per year. 
and that's going to affect a good amount of what we add or what we what we offer that facility so a hundred unit facility what kind of return are you looking at Generally, across our portfolio, we're looking at about a six and a half to eight percent cash on cash per year. And then when we sell, typically the equity multiple is about a two x. So if you put a hundred k into one of our facilities, you'll get six to seven percent on your money, or six and a half to eight percent on your money. And then when we sell, you'll we'll get you, we'll give you a hundred k back plus another hundred k. And we typically mm -hmm. sell within three to five years. So what's the benefit or the difference, I might say, between someone going out and purchasing a facility themselves under their own name and then grow from there and to come to invest with you? Obviously, the experience is a big one, but anything else that would be a difference? You can have fractional ownership in our facilities, so you can just contribute 100K and get the same benefit as if you contributed a million dollars as far as a percentage of a return. We okay. tend to spread our risk so you can invest in several of our deals, whereas if you just take all one million bucks, whatever, however much money you have and buy one facility, then you're limited to that performance of that one facility. That one facility might perform not perform according to what you want it to perform. Yeah. I always say you do better with others, group thing. You can be safer. It definitely lowers your risk by fractionating your, your ownership. So how do you identify emerging markets? Do you keep on track and see if something in the next two or three years that might be emerging that you want to go and purchase a facility? In a way, we typically, like I mentioned previously, we want population in a city that has an increase in population. We also want a city that hasn't been overbuilt. Generally speaking, storage facilities have a five-mile radius target market. So if you live outside of five miles, you're probably not going to be storing your stuff at my facility. You want your stuff pretty close to your house. So we typically, when we look at a facility, we want to look at the five-mile radius and see how much, what the population of that area is, what the how many other competitors we have, if the competitors are full. And if the competitors are planning to expand or if the, or if there's a new competitor coming online that we haven't, that we, that isn't there yet, but has already gone through the planning and zoning stage. Would you actually participate in developing a brand new facility? We have one right now. We actually had two, one of them, another developer wanted to pay us for it. So we ended up selling it. And then we have another oh. one that we're working on in a small town in Texas. So yeah, we definitely develop. Development is a, a three to five year project. You get it built in nine months and then it takes you two to three years to fill it up. And then you, gotta, you have to have that nice 12 months worth of stabilized working expenses and then expenses and income. Mm -hmm. And then you just go ahead and list it and sell it. So people can participate in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Is it just the U.S. or you guys are branching off into Canada or any other neighboring countries? It's primarily actually Texas. I live in central Texas. I like to drive to my facilities to make sure they're still there. Nothing's happened that the yards get mowed, that <laughs> sort of thing. walk off? We yeah. do have one in Oklahoma City, and that one's going well. And we'll probably buy more in Oklahoma City. Typically, you get a base and you kind of expand from there. There's several other states that we've looked into, but the further out you get, the less you know about that market. And you can look at assumptions, you can look at data, but sometimes there's just things that happen that you would only know 
if you lived close by or you knew someone that lived close, close by. So what if there's an investor outside of America? How would they get involved? Yeah, that would be an, or if they can that'd be a question for my attorney. I know it can happen. Uh, yeah. they, there's just a, yeah, there's, yeah, that would be a, I don't even know how to answer that, but I know my attorney has it's mentioned okay. that, that it's totally possible. Yeah, because going on podcast, your audience is global and entrepreneurship is in all corners. And obviously entrepreneurs like to invest in different buckets. So you never know. Sure. We would absolutely mm. welcome a non-American investor. And are you going into apartment buildings, like a higher yeah. unit apartment buildings, 70, 80 unit, Florida, Texas? Are you looking into that as well? I'm a self-storage expert, so I'll probably just stick okay. to storage. In the yeah. past, the two apartments I've owned, one of them was a catastrophe and the other one did pretty well. Oh, yeah. But I just, I really like, I really like non-habitable real estate. I like not having mm. to deal with domestic disputes, not having to deal, not having to talk to the cops and not having to repair the door after they kicked the, kicked the yeah, door down. I get it. There's yeah. a lot of ca chaos that comes with renting to humans yes, yes but yeah never say never sense. i would say if i were to go to a different asset class or explore a different mm -hmm. asset class it would probably be in the industrial space because you're dealing with really good hard workers that make yeah. plenty of money that just want need a place to store their goods mm. nobody knows the future we don't know what will happen say if someone invested a hundred thousand with you what kind of returns would you say they could gain in the next three to five years? I guess you said two X after three years, correct? I would say we, our goal is to double your money in five years. And we've hit that metric pretty, pretty solid over the past years. Five years. Okay. Very good. Can you share with us, Travis, what you feel your innermost superpower is that got you to this point in your life? Yeah, I think it's pretty much what most entrepreneurs deal with is just learning to process pain and disappointment and then observe why that why you're in, having pain, why you're having disappointment, and then progressing out of that. Entre there's a reason why most people sh shouldn't or can't or didn't make it as an entrepreneur. It's because it's incredibly painful at times. You have highs, you have lows, you talk up any super successful celebrity entrepreneur can tell you that man we were killing it and then we just got crushed and mm. i think in the crushing in the downtimes really reflecting of why that happened and then changing course typically is how you end up staying at the top a lot longer or mm. having a lot slower painful moments but mm. yeah it's there's highs and lows there the market goes up the market goes down i would say the thing that's kept me going is just realizing that it is doable and that if I can process the pain, then I can get back to the top and make plenty of money. Yeah. That's good, Travis. It sounds like, you know, the main component is having a strong mindset. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Because entrepreneurship requires a strong mindset. Great point, Travis. It was wonderful speaking to you and finding out about what you're doing. It's definitely unique. It sounds exciting. And if anybody in the audience is interested in looking into this, definitely get in touch with Travis and see what they have going right now, the deals they have on the table to add another source of income for yourself or to obviously multiply your wealth. 
And Travis, appreciate you for coming on our show, my friend. Thank you. If there's any final thoughts you want to share, please go ahead. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you having me on and look forward to hearing from people. Thank you, Travis. Thank you. And audience, thanks again. And we'll see you next time.